Now, every once in a while, we do uh, what we call conversations, which is just an open time of, of uh, questions and sharing. And I don't exactly want to do that this morning. I want to do something a little bit more directed. But still, any of you who have been to our Wednesday night um, book studies, uh, that, that form of just open back and forth and, and dialogue is, is just my favorite forum. And so I just love that. And so I wanted to see if we could get a little bit of that going here because what we've been doing for the last month, five weeks or so, is really taking a look at this way of Jesus. What is this way of Jesus? What is it that he's teaching us? The first followers of Jesus call themselves followers of the way, as opposed to followers of Jesus. So this way was, was primarily important to them. Obviously, they identified Jesus with the way, but they realized and they understood that there was something that they were supposed to do. There was a, there was a way that they were supposed to follow. There was a shape of life that they were supposed to enter into, and it wasn't just vicarious. It wasn't just passive. It wasn't something that Jesus did all the work and they just kind of relaxed in the glow. But there was some place that they were supposed to go with him in order to find the freedom that he called kingdom. And so in talking about this way, we've looked at it from several different points of view and kind of deconstructed it a bit and looked at it and tried to break down some of the... I don't know, hard and fast belief systems that we as, as traditional Christians or having grown up traditionally Christian have kind of assumed or have been taught that are keeping us at arm's length from really diving in and engaging this way. And a lot of the emphasis was on the, the, the descent that needs to happen, this, this uh, selling everything that you have, stripping away the uh, egoic self and all those sorts of ideas that we're speaking to a great difficulty. But what I wanted to do is make sure that you didn't think that the whole thing was just a bunch of negative, difficult things that we have to do. It was interesting that uh, growing up Catholic, the Catholics celebrated the suffering of Christ so much that culturally it was like we were encouraged to go seek out suffering in order to be closer to Jesus, which is kind of perverse. On the other hand, coming into an evangelical and a Protestant setting and with many of the, the cultural Christian you know, Protestant attitudes today, it's all about the avoidance of suffering, the avoidance of pain and praying it away and, and everything is supposed to be prosperous and if there's anything less than prosperous in your life then something's wrong and we've got to pray, brother. Somewhere between the acquisition of suffering and the avoidance of suffering is this middle way of Jesus that simply accepts what life serves up at any moment and finds the ability to be grateful, fulfilled, and have each moment be completely enough regardless of the content of the circumstances. It's an amazing thing. It's a difficult thing. But when you do stay on this path long enough, the thing that I want to emphasize and kind of balance out because sometimes you end up pulling the pendulum too far to one side to try to get the balance. Go on through, girls. You got it. Got a princess there. (laughs) Thank you. The balance is, is that when you do stay on this path, when you do get to a point where you have kind of broken through the, the first early times, there is such a release that I wish that I could convey to you. There is a breaking through into a freedom 
that I can only speak for myself when I say that I had never known that before. I had been so relegated to trying to produce, to, try, to trying to achieve, trying to be good enough, trying to hit some sort of bar, both because I'm a perfectionist, you know, OCD kind of personality anyway, partly because of the way my father was and the way I was raised, and partly because I looked out and I saw, if I'm going to get the approval of the group, I've got to do this and this and this, and then you always got to be topping yourself and you have to push the envelope, and it was a constant interior and exterior battle, struggle. And of course, you're never good enough. When are you ever good enough, no matter what you do? And even if you reach the goal that you have been striving for for ages, that elation lasts about that long. (laughs) And then you're looking back out at the horizon again, which is ever receding. Suddenly, in this movement through this way of Jesus, that gave me an experience of a love that I just couldn't have possibly known existed any other way. There was a release from that, not total, because Mary would be the first one to tell you, yeah, I can still stress out with the best of y'all, you know, and, and, and things will still get me down, but I'm telling you, there is a qualitative difference from the, difference from the inside out that makes everything changed. And the stresses and the struggles that I go through now, I can navigate and I can manage so much better than I ever could before. And even in the midst of frenetic work, there's a core inside me now. There's a floor, you know, through which my depression doesn't go anymore, through which my anxiety doesn't go anymore. It, it's, it's, it's getting solid. And even though Brother Lawrence, who we've talked about in here before, describes the presence of God as this continual joy, I'm not sure what he meant by joy, but... I wouldn't say joy the way we think of joy, but I'll tell you what it is. It is a constant contentment that things are somehow going to be okay, even when they're less than ideal, even when my experience is not matching my expectation. There is this understanding everything is going to be okay, somehow, some way. And that is punctuated by times of just real, real elation at, at, at given moments. Just being able to sit here and talk to you all is, is something that I've dreamed of doing for years and I'm actually doing it. So if I'm present to it and I'm not freaking out about what I'm going to say next because I don't have any notes, and, you know, that I can just relax and just enjoy this moment and look into your faces and just be completely okay. So, yes, the way is difficult. Yes, it requires, as Jesus would say, everything of you. You need to sell everything and give it to the poor. You don't get to hold back and cling to this thing if you really want the complete freedom of Jesus. And I can't tell you that I've given up everything because I haven't. There are still things in my closet, you know, that I keep under the plastic bags and I'm holding on to those things, you know. I'm trying to get rid of them more and more. And it's a lifelong process. But the reward is so great. This kingdom life that Jesus is talking about is absolutely amazing. So if we're going to take all of this that we've been talking about in terms of Jesus' way and boil it down to a nub, one thing that we can focus on and that we can do that's going to start us on this journey, what is it? You know, I know I wanted to know. Jesus told us quite plainly. He said, seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness and all else will be added. So that was his way of of just bringing it right to a head. He was great at that. You know, what's the greatest law? You know, how do you follow? Hey, just love God, love each other as you love yourself. That's it. 
You know, that's all the rest is commentary. In terms of this way I'm telling you about, seek first the kingdom, God's righteousness, and all else will be added. But how would we understand what that means? Because it doesn't mean a whole lot in our language. But to Jesus, the kingdom was that quality of life that was filled with the awareness, the presence, the consciousness of God's spirit and the connection between us and that spirit and everyone else who is connected to God's spirit. It all becomes this one thing. Seek that first. To my way of thinking, it comes down to presence. All about presence. All about awareness. Without that, nothing else happens. It's like the... the <laughs> we were just talking about how this woman won $750 million or something in the, in the lottery. And it's just like, well, you're not going to win if you don't buy a ticket. Right? So presence is like buying the ticket. Now, it's better than buying the ticket because there's no chance involved. Buying the ticket means you walk inside the door. Buying the ticket is showing up to the moment. Once you show up, things can happen. You don't show up, stuff doesn't happen. It's that simple. And presence isn't something that you turn on as a lifelong endeavor. Presence is something that you decide or do not decide every single moment. Sitting here right now, all of you can decide to be present or you can decide something else. Sometimes the choice isn't conscious, but there it is. You all chose, chose to be here physically. You're all here in this room together. But are you all here spiritually as well? Are you really here? Or are you sitting here and thinking about something that is remote? Or are you here? Are you really hearing me or something else? I remember one time I was speaking and, and uh, someone was signing ASL you know, to the deaf. I remember saying, this is great. At least I know there's one person in the room that's listening to every word I say. <laughs> yeah, you may not be paying attention, but at least he's hearing it and signing it. You know? Are we doing that? It's all about presence. Why is presence so important? The Jews had a way of looking at life that stated that human beings lived between heaven and earth. I love that, that, that image, that metaphor. It's so beautiful. We live between heaven and life, between the absolute unity, connection, you know, and will of the Father, and the individual form and seeming disconnection of life here on this planet, full of the details and the stresses and everything else that goes on. And our job as human beings was to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. How do you do that? You do that with presence. Presence is the very act of bringing your physical self and your spiritual self together. Interiorly, everything becomes one. And exteriorly, you, unified in yourself, spirit, mind, body, connected with everyone else, creates this unity, creates this moment that brings heaven and earth together. Doing that 51% of the time means you have changed your address to kingdom. You now live in kingdom. You still take trips to the dark side, but you now live in kingdom. That's what we're after. And so it takes this presence, it takes this awareness that starts to help us to choose in certain directions. This is why presence is so important. This is why Jesus is emphasizing it in a way that we don't typically get because of the English language barrier. But his followers would have understood, especially as he continued to talk to them. 
The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. He had to use metaphors. He had to use stories. He was trying to evoke in them to remind them of the feeling of presence that they'd already experienced in their lives but hadn't identified as such and dismissed as having anything to do with spirituality because the religious leaders were telling them something different. This is what spirituality is. You know? It's making your tithe. It's going to the temple three times a year. It is doing all of these duties and religious things. And every time that you get out of, out of kilter and become unclean, then here's this whole ritual that you need to do. And you need to dress like this and eat like this. This is what they were being told spirituality was all about. And yet they were having spiritual experiences naturally, just in the course of their lives, and not chalking them up as anything that connected in any way. And here's Jesus saying, you know what? The kingdom is like that time that you lost something in your house, you lost that coin, and you were frantically looking for it, looking for it, and then you find it. You know that feeling you have and you throw a party? That's it. That's what kingdom is like. It's like someone who finds a treasure in the field. $750 million lotto ticket. Ah, right there. And then he puts it back and sells everything he has, buys the field, which to us seems a little screwy. Why don't you just take the ticket? But the point is you can't take the ticket until you have cleared out everything that would block you from taking the treasure. So this is what Jesus is doing. He's trying to get us to understand this is what presence is all about. This is what kingdom is all about. So how does that translate to us? What are the kinds of experiences of kingdom, of presence that we've had that can start to get us to get a handle on that feeling, because if we can recreate the feeling of being connected, guess what we're doing? We're recreating the connection underneath, because sometimes it's really hard to do that. I was thinking about when I was playing football in high school. Believe it or not, I actually played football. Actually, I, I rode the bench in football, but I still had to go to all the practices and do everything everybody else did and take as many hits as everybody else did, you know, that sort of thing. But I remember we did a scrimmage. And I was a split end, and so we were doing a scrimmage, and, and they called a play where I was going to be carrying the ball. It was kind of an end around where I came back behind the quarterback, got the handoff, and then was supposed to hit the line. Me being me, I knew every play in that playbook, backward and forward. I knew exactly what every play was about, right? And so I execute the play perfectly. I get the ball, and then I had this moment of panic. What do I do now? There's nothing in the pages that tell me what to do now. What do I do now? You know, <laughs> run, forced run, he says. You know, the truth of the matter is the play actually begins where the playbook ends. Did you ever think about that? The great players are the ones who can execute beyond what the playbook tells them to do. I got that ball, I turned toward the line, and all I saw was just a forest of linebackers. I had no idea what to do. It's just like all my thoughts stopped, and the next thing I knew, I was in the dirt looking up at the, at the sky. But someone who is able to be completely present, who can see, can look at a glance and see the entire field at a glance. They're not thinking about it. They're just seeing it, I assume, because I never really got there. And they see a path through it and they start going for it. Regardless of the outcome, they can see where they're going. To me, presence is like that. It's like when you're driving your car in fog. Has everybody driven a car in dense fog? Okay, you can only see just maybe to the, to the bumper and you turn on the lights and it's worse because now it's reflecting back at you and you're going really slowly and you have all that tension because you don't know where you are. You can't even see the lines in the street. 
And all of a sudden you hit this rise and it clears for a second and you can see down 100 feet. And then that relief that hits you, you know, it's, oh, okay, okay, I'm okay, I'm still on the road, I'm, I'm not going into a ditch. It kind of feels like that, you know. There's a clearing that happens. To be present to the moment is not that you're thinking about it in words, but there's, there's just this vista you can see. Everyone that's in your moment, you can see how your choices are going to affect them. It just becomes like looking downfield and seeing the path through. It's kind of like that. I was uh, in some group session and somebody was talking and they were a little bit screwy. Um, but this guy is talking and I'm watching this woman watching him. And it was fascinating to me because her eyes were locked on him and I just would have given quite a bit to have just stepped inside her head. because uh, her, her face was completely blank but her eyes were locked on him, and I knew she was processing, she was thinking, she was evaluating, she was making a judgment about him, but I didn't know what it was. But there it was, it was so intense that she was looking at him. And now if someone was looking at me, I was looking at her in the same way, right? You know? And I was, it wasn't a thought process, I'm just looking at her and I'm wondering, but I'm not thinking about what I'm wondering, I was in the moment wondering, as she was probably in the moment looking at him. It's, it's that kind of wordless connection. It's like coming out of the fog and you see, and you see how your choices connect. And if you've been triggered emotionally and you're feeling something, you come out of the fog with awareness, with presence when you come back in, and suddenly you say, okay, there's this emotion, but that's not me. Here's all these people. Here's a choice I need to make. And everything becomes doable in an instant. And you're not thinking in words, you're just there. Presence is kind of like that. How do you get there? How do you get to this place? It's just, it's practice like anything else. I know that I said this is supposed to be interactive and I'm doing all the talking, but <laughs> I wanted to get something across to you because sometimes when we go through these messages like I do, even just eight feet back, and we're going through these things and we're, we're looking at scriptures and we're making these connections, you know, and it, it all makes sense intellectually and your head goes up and down. I wanted to just slow down for a second and see if we could kind of move into a space because this is the real deal. It doesn't matter what you know theologically. It doesn't matter what you've done religiously. It matters whether you can enter into this space relationally. That's going to make all the difference between whether you are actually following this way of Jesus or you're just spinning wheels. And Jesus made a huge distinction between those two things with the Pharisees and the scribes and the people. We want to be actually moving through this way. And this is how it feels. This is what it's like. And you will have these amazing moments along the way that are yours to keep and to treasure and to use as touchstones. I remember being up at Sarah Retreat where I used to go all the time and practically lived up there. And one night I would always take a, a run after the last session and run down the hill and through the, the streets of Malibu Canyon. And there was this one night that I was running clear sky, full moon, and I swear to you that I felt if I turned my head quick enough, I could catch the Lord running along with me. That presence was so thick, so real. And at the only time that I've experienced holy laughter, and I don't know if you know what holy laughter is, 
But I was coming back up the hill, back to the dorm rooms, and looked up at that moon and just started laughing. And it, it had nothing to do with anything except just this overwhelming feeling of well-being, of God's presence, that everything is going to be okay. This is what it's like, not all the time, 51% of the time, you know? But this is where we're going with this. This is what we're trying to get to. And clearing the decks of everything we think we know about God's presence, about religious practice, and just getting down to the basics. Are you here? Are you now? Are you thinking about what you're actually doing? Or are you thinking about something else? Because I'll tell you what, if you're waiting for anything, then you're not present to anything. It's that simple. Are you waiting for something? Even if it's the most virtuous thing in the world. We talked about this on Wednesday. Are you waiting for world peace? How's that working out for you? Because if you're waiting something as a condition for your happiness, as a condition for your connectedness, as a condition for your sense of fulfillment and completion, you will be waiting forever because that day never comes. We either decide and choose that this moment is enough or we don't. And it's okay if we don't because guess what? There's another moment coming around the corner in a moment. And we can choose again and again. And when we start choosing more often than not, we're in kingdom. Some moments are just too difficult, too painful to be able to break through. It's okay. Give yourself a break. It's all right. But realize you're not a victim. You can choose again in the next moment. And you don't have to hold on to that space, especially when the circumstances have changed. This is the way of Jesus. It's that simple. It's that devoid of all of this stuff that we try to put, these complications that we try to put in place. But it's also that difficult because it requires everything of us, as Jesus said. Is any of this making sense? Is, it, is, it, is there anything you want to comment on or, or, or any questions that are arising and all this stuff? So it looks like I've either explained it perfectly or confused you perfectly. One of you. Yeah, go ahead, Mom. Did you all hear the question? I can summarize it by saying, you know, why is it that all of a sudden you have an idea that nobody else has had in 2,000 years of Christian history? All right? What, what gives you this? I'll tell you what. If that were the case, you should run screaming from the room as quickly as you can. All right? Because if that were the case, I got some Kool-Aid here for you for lunch. All right? That's the way those kind of things work. If you violate Scripture in your you know, movement toward God, then there's going to be something wrong. And Ecclesiastes clearly tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Right? If I'm saying something that's true then it's always been true. And if it's true, then I'm certainly not the first one to have figured this out, right? If you ever think that you've had an original thought, you just haven't read enough. That's the way that goes. And I am not the first one. I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing about this. There has been a, a, a stream of Christian thought and practice that is exactly what I'm telling you right now since the very beginning. And I believe that this is exactly what Jesus was teaching but we interpreted it away as the Gentile church split off from its Hebrew roots and lost track and lost connection, not only with the language, but with the history and the customs and, and the grounding of, of their scripture. We lost the fact that Jesus was talking about a contemplative practice here, which is what this is that I'm describing to you. 
I believe that was the, the core of the original church. I believe if we really look at Paul from the same perspective, we see in Paul the same things that, that we're talking about here. But if you look back, there has always been this tradition. The desert fathers and the mothers of the, first, of the third and fourth centuries are all about what this is about. If you read those stories, and we've, we've done some of them in here. If you read those stories, you see this is exactly what they're talking about. They're the ones who, when Christianity became allied with Roman power in the fourth century, they're the ones that ran screaming from the room and went into the deserts of Egypt and Judea to try to find that pure connection again that they felt that they had lost. They thought that their church and their society had become a shipwreck. And as long as they were flopping around in the, in the debris field with everybody else, they were no good to anybody. But if they could get themselves on dry land, get a firm foothold, then they could help other people out. And they went out to find this. And this is exactly what they're talking about. It was devoid of all of the theology and all the church practice. It came down to what Jesus said. The kingdom is not going to come by observation out there someplace. Look, here it is or there it is. The kingdom is entos in the Greek, which means within, among, and in the midst of, all at the same time. It's one of those all-purpose prepositions. And even more telling in the Aramaic, it's legal men, which means moving dynamically, purposefully, even compellingly from inside to outside. And so Jesus is telling us the same thing. It's not about all this stuff. He says it's not what goes into the man that defiles him, it's what comes out. In other words, it's all about the heart. That's why, look at those 613 laws that the rabbis have given you. I'm saying, love God with your whole heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and that's it. You will do all the rest of the 611 if you just do these two right there. And so it's the same message over and over again. And so, no, absolutely, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here to tell you what I'm telling you. And I would never want to bring you anything that I couldn't find any kind of antecedent for in the record, in Scripture. It has to be that way. Because if I have come up with something new, then it's only for me. It's not for you. And I shouldn't be teaching it from here. Good enough? Okay. Yeah, Judy. She's asking, is everything, every interchange, everything that she goes through in life, is that part of presence? And is there something in me that blocks me from that presence? And the answer is yes. And yes. You know, there is, there is nothing in, in, in human life, there is nothing in our, our human day-to-day encounters that is not part of God. We came from God. We're, we're, we're going to resolve to God. Uh, everything that is, is sustained by God. And so everything that we do is part of this. If we bring our presence to it, it's not the moment itself that is sacred. It's not the moment itself that's meaningful. It's us bringing our presence to the moment that makes it sacred and meaningful because we are connecting with the presence that precedes us that is all sacredness and all meaning. So it's not just the intrinsic circumstances. See, we look for the spectacular things. We look for the things that we have imagined and expect are significant and sacred. We try to create them. Like Brother Lawrence said, we think we have to create all these things in order to come at God. He said, it's not so. Just do what you normally do all day long, but do it for the sake of God. Do it in connection with God's presence and that makes it so. And yes, there's so many things blocking us. It all comes down to fear. How much do you fear being completely open and transparent? 
How much do you fear people seeing you as you actually are? Because that's what it means to be present. It means that you are letting people see you as you are, imperfect with all your flaws and with all the things that are left undone. And instead of putting up that facade to present what we think we need to project in order to be accepted, we're willing to let people see us as we are, to let people reject us if that is their choice. That's a very scary thing to do. And it's something that will be too frightening for us, too risky for us, unless or until we have at least experienced enough of this absolute love of the Father that allows us that freedom. And that's what it is. It's freedom. How exhausting is it to keep up that facade, to keep projecting what you think people will approve of? And how liberating is it to let it down? This is the freedom that Jesus is talking about, the freedom to be really seen in order to be present, in order to connect with God. Okay, Angela, and then... Back there. I feel like I should be doing the Phil Donahue thing. It's all a decision. Every moment that we have, we can be in God's presence. Every moment. It's, it's up to us. He's waiting for us to do this. Well, if I could just give a quick example, I think, of what um, Dave is trying to share with us today, um, just for an immediate example, actually yesterday I was driving down our lovely five freeway down to San Diego to meet up with my daughter and her boyfriend, and of course the freeway five south to San Diego, as we all know, no matter what time of the day anymore, it seems like it's bumper to bumper, all four lanes, and of course 10, 15 minutes on to the journey, okay, not a big deal, right? then you can start feeling your stress level developing, the anger, the rage. And then I found myself, God saying, you get to make a choice now. How are you going to respond? Do I get to be with you right now, or are you going to let Satan be with you? And it was a choice of choosing who I want to be present with me on the journey. And so I chose the Holy Spirit, of course. And... All of a sudden, I just was in bumper-to-bumper, standstill traffic, another two hours down the road for what would be normally a 45-minute road journey. And I just started, when you said that holy spirit of laughter, I just started busting up. I just was like, okay, I'm laughing, laughing, laughing. I'm as giddy as a, you know, schoolgirl. And I just looked at it like Jesus was in the seat next to me. I was driving alone. And he goes, look at all these people. Look at all my people. Isn't this silly? We're all fighting and fussing to get down the road to whatever their, you know, end of their destination was. And I just looked at it from God's perspective like, where are we all going? Isn't this hilarious? And we're all going to get our blood pressures up and road rage and whatever. And I just decided to laugh the rest of the journey. So I had God's presence. So I think, quick example, just choices. Who do you want to journey the road with? Hi, everyone. Oh, this is cool. Um, you know, that what, what comes to mind for me is that um, I'm, right now I'm, I'm doing a lot of AA meetings, and um, it's really not so much because I can't stop drinking, because uh, God completely lifted that from me. Um, that's not part of my life. Uh, anymore but I, I I go there to meet people and to see God through other people and to learn to learn how to how to live and um what what I found is that it's a constant struggle because 
when I share at these meetings, um, it's very clear that sometimes when I'm doing it for myself and I'm trying to impress people and I'm trying to be funny or I'm trying to, you know, talk about me, um, every single time, right when I finish my share, I have regrets and oh, I should have said this or I, for, you know, I forgot to say that or, you know, that wasn't funny or, you know, I feel uncomfortable. And when I step back and ask God if he wants to use me and say anything to, to, to bless someone else that might be in the room, then I have peace when I share. Then I don't regret anything and I don't care what people think or say and, um, and I'm comfortable with it. And, um, you know, the problem I'm struggling with is that there's times that I try to turn it over to God, but he doesn't want me to share. And I fight it and I decide, well, you know, people want to hear this story about me. And I tell it. And every single time I still get that uncomfortable feeling. So I'm working on that. But, um, you know, I think if it's from God, it's, it, it, it's anxiety free, effortless and uh, and joyful. And uh, that's all. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, John. Just uh, real uh, quickly, hopefully. Uh, be- a beautiful service, by the way, uh, interchange. I, I, uh, I'm really benefiting from that. I just wanted to relate uh, a personal experience that uh, has come into my mind as a result of you, uh, Dave, talking about the um, those sort of magic moments of being being present uh, when you realize that uh, everything's going to be okay. Um, About six years ago now, I uh, was diagnosed with very serious cancer, uh, head and neck cancer, stage four, went in with a small lump on my neck and came out with a diagnosis that, uh, you know, I I could die. I knew I was going to die, but I didn't think that soon. Um, But uh, I spent... A year or more, almost two years, I think it was, in treatment and uh, complications and a coma for two months. I was in a coma. Um, and it was a very, very difficult year. And I, I had some inner visions while I was in that coma, but I won't, won't go into that because that's almost more mystical in a way. I want to speak more of the practical. Uh, in my recovery, which I spent most of my time alone at home uh, with my wife, but mostly alone. I was being fed through a, for a year through a tube in my stomach, and uh, uh, I, I didn't really feel sorry for myself, but I felt, um, uh, I certainly didn't feel fully alive and, and grateful, and people would say to me, Aren't you, shouldn't you be more joyous that you have lived through this and all that? And I I really didn't feel joy. I, I felt pr- probably still more fear than anything else. And one, one morning, I'll get to the point real quick. One, one morning I was sitting in my office uh, on the computer alone. It was in the morning. And I heard these, the birds outside chirping. They were sitting on the telephone wire. And uh, to, to those of us who have gone through alcohol and drug addiction, active addiction, the sound of birds in the morning was not a pleasant sound. Uh, it was like, oh, here we go again. I've stayed up all night, and these damn bir- darn birds. Um, and yet I, I heard these birds, and immediately my thought went to uh, the Bible. And I thought of 
in the Bible where I think it was Jesus who talked about it, uh, said, why, why, why are you afraid that, you know, the, the birds are taken care of and they don't, uh, they don't have to worry, with, they're fed and they're okay. And I had an overwhelming uh, presence, um, if you will, a, a born-again experience. I don't know what you want to call it, but I've never felt that way before. And I was immediately struck with the absolute truth that everything is going to be okay. Everything is in its place. And uh, I was being taken care of. And that really propelled me to a new uh, faith in God. It, it actually, I, I don't know how exactly, but it steered me to this, this church here. And uh, I, I don't always have those feelings. I, I, I revert back to, to fear and anxiety at times. I'm, I'm, I'm normal in that respect. But I also hear the birds now, too. And uh, so I, I understand the, uh, what you conveyed in terms of that presence. That is, is such a real experience to me that it's, uh, I understand that idea of the kingdom being at hand that I didn't have to base it on an expectation of, gee, as soon as I get over all this cancer stuff, things will be better. I had the overwhelming presence that things were okay right then. So. Yeah. I know I see the hands up, but I was also getting late. And uh, one of the problems with presence that I have is to get lost in the moment and then end up going as long as I went last week. So... I'm going to try not to let that happen again. What's that? That was okay? I'm so glad to hear you say that. You know, Frank doesn't think it's okay, though. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, I love this. We We could literally go on and on and on because... But what I'm hoping is that for at least those of you who spoke um, and those of you who listened to what was saying, that you were clicking with the thing that you would say if the mic were handed to you, that you've had experiences like this, that you understand what presence really is, that it's nothing religious or spectacular. It doesn't have to shine through stained glass windows. It, it just occurs in, in, the, in, the, in the dust of the streets of every mo- lived moment and every choice that you make. This is what is sacred. This is the stuff of our lives. And if we're not finding presence there, where in the world are we going to find it? There is nothing else except these moments that we're going through. Bring it here. Bring it down here. Make the choices that these people are talking about making that take them from outside of kingdom to kingdom, outside of the moment, back to the moment. You notice how in those last three stories, everyone involved, every moment involved a choice. I can go this way or I can go that way. I can feel uncomfortable. I can feel scared. I can do this or I can go the other way. I can be irritated and annoyed or I can come back here and just laugh at the traffic. Every one of those stories is telling us exactly how this works. Every moment contains a choice. That's how you know you're in a moment because you've got a choice. And the choice is always the same. Am I going to connect? Am I going to bring heaven and earth together? Or am I going to do something else? One of the, the uh, we're going through the Western Songlines, which is uh, one of my books on Wednesdays. And the chapter that we just finished is called Stars Beneath Our Feet. And it's a, it's a book on, pres- it's a chapter on presence. And the metaphor is that 
we are used to seeing stars above our heads, but because of this ball we're standing on, we don't really think about the fact that there are stars beneath our feet. It's just that this world that we stand on blocks that view, that the, the presence of the stars is absolutely everywhere. In every direction you look, you would say the, see the same star field, equal density and distribution wherever you go. And that is very disconcerting for us. We want to have something solid to stand on. We only want to think of infinity in one direction, and it's very disorienting to think of infinity beneath our feet, to think of God's presence beneath our feet. And the fact that when the sun comes up and the stars go away, the stars are still exactly where they were. It's just the bright star that came up blew them out of our vision. That star of the sun is the same as our consciousness, the bright star of our own thought life, of our own egoic self that blows out all of the presence that is around us. It's still there. If we can set the sun of our consciousness Allow that to drop to a lower level, which is what we do in contemplative life. It's what we do in in centering prayer, meditation. And it's what we do when these choices are made that you just heard about. You're setting the sun of all that junk that allows the stars to come back out, the presence to come back out. And I wanted to read just the end of this chapter and see if this kind of tightens everything up for us. And I probably need a third hand here, but let's see what I can do. There are stars beneath our feet. I remember as a kid lying in bed at night trying to process the elements of the Baltimore Catechism the nuns had recited for us that day in school. God is, God always was, and God will always be. God is and God will always be were easy enough. I could picture a line beginning with the rumpled sheets on my bed and extending off forever, never ending. But always was? How does anyone picture that? How does anyone imagine something that has no beginning, that has always been, that always was before anything else that ever was. It's disorienting, disturbing, irreconcilable, just like the stars beneath our feet. We are relatively comfortable with the notion of infinity over our heads, of infinite numbers and extensions in that direction, in one direction only. But there should be solid ground beneath us, something we can count on, stand on, the presence of stars all around us, the view of a star field that is always the same wherever we look, can wither our sense of place and self if we refuse to make friends with the reality of life. We can live bewildered and defensive lives trying to maintain the illusion of solid ground, of God and stars coming at us from only one direction, relegating God's presence to neatly defined times and places. Or we can let go and open up, free-falling into an endless chaotic riot of stars. The presence of God burns beneath our feet, all around in every possible direction, equal density and distribution. It never changes and it never dims. But we won't see it beneath us as long as we focus on the big ball we're standing on blocking the view. Neither will we see it above and around as long as the nearby star of our own consciousness floods every corner of our minds and hides it beneath a blue curtain. When we turn off the cell phone, and really enter into a conversation with a friend when we push away from our work and look into our child's eyes or the eyes of a co-worker and really see them, hear them, help them, when we pull off the road on the way home to watch the last rays of the sun disappear over the horizon, drop our briefcase or purse at the door and take the nearest face into our hands and kiss it, 
when we picture the people who will benefit from whatever work we do and then do that work better, the best we can, with their faces to guide us, when we engage everything and anyone as if God were intimately present, we are finally beginning to know the truth that will make us free. Because the truth is, God is, and God always was, and God always will be present, as present as we can stand him to be. God speaks in the language of unity, not in English or Aramaic, but a language beneath our feet, beneath anything that can be thought to ourselves or expressed to another. The sense of connectedness, of sweetness, of joy, are God's words to us with no loss in translation. They are both the things of which the presence of God is made and the sensation of its experience. When we create those connections with each other, when we see the connections between us and each other and therefore God, when we hear the language of unity vibrating through all creation, we're not simply creating happy moments and pleasant feelings. We are practicing the presence of God. We are learning to fall among the stars beneath our feet. Let's pray. Father, help us to clear away all the complications that we put between us and you. Help us to let go of any concept or thought or feeling that we have that keeps us from just opening up and letting people see us as we are. From making the first step to say either I love you or hello, to make a connection that we hadn't made before, to move past the sense of risk that we have the sense of feeling foolish and just move toward connection every time and see what happens. Help us to do more of that. Help us from the most difficult times of our lives, like John finding out cancer, to some of the most hilarious times of our lives, like Arlene on a traffic-ridden street freeway. Help us to find the same principle, to turn to you, to open up, and to let go. Thank you, Father, for showing us how to do this by being absolutely present and vulnerable and open to us and never being anything else. Help us to mirror that in our lives so that we can really connect with you and each other. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, let's all stand.